So let's get into God's word here, Psalm 59. Entitled the message today, You Are Being Watched. I want to read the, the, the introduction of the psalm that sets it up and then talk about the circumstance of this psalm and really set up the psalm. And we'll spend about half our time there in 1 Samuel 19 where this psalm was written. And then we'll go through the, the 17 verses uh, at, a, at a pretty decent pace. Uh, but I think as we set it up, it, it will make this really uh, unfold well. And so notice here, it says, to the chief musician set to do not destroy a midstem of David when Saul sent men and they watched his house in order to kill him. Now, if you remember, Psalm 58 and Psalm 57 were also set to do not destroy. They were also midstems, an engraved psalm, uh, an engraved poem on David's heart. And all of these psalms were written in times of great distress when the enemy was coming down on David trying to destroy him. Thus he cried out, you know, or wrote these psalms to the tune, Do Not Destroy. And it's probably a, a song they'd already had in his heart as they're trying to destroy. He starts singing a song about Do Not Destroy. And so these psalms were written to that, that musical accompaniment and to that tune. And there's three in a row here, and then there's one later on in the psalms. And so there's some trying to destroy him. And again, as David cries out to God, God gives him this, this word that he's preserved for us as the Holy Spirit moved upon holy men and we have God's holy word. Notice here the setting of it. It was written when it says Saul sent men and they watched David's house in order to kill him. And so we want to we wanna look at that in scripture, what was going on. So again, turn with me to 1 Samuel 19. And in verses 1 through 8, we kind of get the setup of this. We know that Saul was in this place where he had rebelled against the Lord. Uh, he, he was walking in, in uh, the scripture says really, in a spirit of witchcraft, in his rebellion. There was a distressing spirit that now came upon him. And we know that he was really driven by paranoia and evil suspicions and jealousy against David. God was using David, and, and David was even put in Saul's life to bless Saul, and he'd been a blessing to Saul, but Saul didn't see it that way as he was really promoting himself and trying to build his own kingdom. And remember that song that they were saying, Saul slain thousands, but David tens of thousands, and it made him irate. And we see several times him having these episodes, really until the day he takes his own life, these episodes of wanting to destroy David, he was driven by that. Man, don't let your life be be marked by being driven by the destruction of another. Have your mark be, uh, you know, living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ didn't come to destroy, he came to save. Mankind's already under condemnation. They don't need to condemn them more. They need the gospel to see they are condemned and they need to get saved. But Saul, again, was driven by this destruction. And then we read here in the first few verses that, that Jonathan, his son, talked him down. And Jonathan was a great man of God. Saul's saying, I want to send servants to kill David. And Jonathan says, hey, what has David done to you? And, and he talks him down. And then so uh, David is brought back into the presence of, of Saul. And again, some people's lives, this is the pattern of their life where, you know, they, they get a root of bitterness towards somebody and they walk in that and they're driven. And then praise God, someone talks them down. The Holy Spirit will talk them down or God's word or just a good biblical counselor and they kind of get that squashed and so forth then there's something that triggers them and they go back to it 
And maybe your life's been marked with that towards a particular individual or persons. And you get seasons where you walk with great bitterness towards them and it starts moving into want to destroy them. I, you know, it, it takes away all your joy, doesn't it? And it, it, it directs you in a way that God doesn't have for you. Then God being faithful to us gets us talked down. And this is where we got to continue to take our thoughts captive, that we don't get back to that place, that we walk in truth and we forgive as we've been forgiven. But, but Saul had this pattern. And again, he thought it was to his advancement, but it was to his demise. So in verse 7, again, we see David back there after Jonathan's talk, Saul down. And it says in verse 8, then, there was a war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow, and they fled from him. And so, again, David's blessing Saul. David's blessing the nation. David was very humble. David was not looking to promote himself. He was just wanting to honor God, wanting to serve God. A mighty blow comes against the enemies, but most likely they came back with the lady sing, singing, Saul slain thousands, but David tens of thousands. As again, he brings this mighty blow by the hand of God against the Philistines. And then notice verse nine, now the distressing spirit of the Lord came upon Saul. Before Saul's rebellion, before he put his hand to bring a sacrifice before the Lord when he needed to wait, wait for Samuel, the priest, to come do that, before he refused to kill all the Amalekites as God told him to, before he embraced that rebellion, the Spirit of God would come upon Saul. And the Old Testament, we would see the Holy Spirit coming upon prophets, priests, and kings. He'd have that upon experience from God. But once he moved into that rebellion, and we never read him repenting of it, which is tragic, because he would go on and be king for many, many years, yet he would never repent. And he had the opportunity to do so, but he didn't. And in his rebellion, as a result, the distressing or demonic spirit would, would come upon him. Now, listen, we're living in a time when you call upon the name of the Lord, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell in you and he seals you. And it's part of the assurance that we have that we're God's kids. And that's a glorious thing. And then the Bible speaks of a baptism of the Spirit, an empowering of the Spirit of God, and God wanting to give gifts to us, and, and, and we need to ask for that empowerment. But it seems in the New Testament as well, there's times when the Spirit even comes upon us in an extra measure, maybe for a prophetic word or, you know, in, in, in praying for someone at some time that, that, that God would, you know, work through that prayer to heal that person and so forth. And it's a glorious thing. And we don't want to be a people that are grieving the Holy Spirit. And I know that, you know, a lot of people try to get real technical with this. It's this and this. And, you know, they get a chart up here of the Holy Spirit and so forth. And maybe some right now are saying, well, I don't, you know, I don't agree with that. We get all that at once. And others say, no, we get it. You know, we get sealed and then we get baptized. And then the times he comes upon us and people start disputing about all these things. Listen, the bottom line is that God is greater than us in these things. There's a, a mysterious element to this. But I know this, if you're yielded to him and you hunger for him, he'll meet you where you're at. Amen. And that's what we should want. Strengthen me and empower me, God. Let me be a vessel that you can work through. Also, it's interesting where it says this spirit came upon him. It is the picture of being demonized and being demonized by a devil. And in the New Testament, it speaks of demon possession. Those things haven't gone away to this day, being possessed by a demon. And I think when we begin to think of that, we think of an individual where everywhere they go, they're driven by this devil and so forth. And really, 
The Bible paints more of a picture of an upon experience by a demon and people walking in rebellion and sin and allowing Satan to get footholds in their lives. That's why you can be around someone at some times and they seem perfectly fine. And then all of a sudden, you know, and it's not every time when people flip out, but have you ever seen just someone's eyes change and they turn and so forth? There, there's, a, there's a good possibility they're being demonized. But notice with David, he always prayed for Saul. He always had a heart for Saul. He always interceded for Saul. And there might be some of those people in your life at times. And, and listen, God hasn't put them there to intimidate you or to stoke fear in your heart. That's not the purpose, but so that you would pray for them, that you would intervene for them. God loves those people. Remember, Jesus left the whole crowd there on the side of Galilee to travel on their side for, to find two men that were so in bondage to devils that they put them in you know, amongst the tombs and they cut themselves and break the chains. And yet the Lord went to them to see him and set them free. And God wants us to have a heart for even the most demonized people in this world that they come to Jesus. Can we say amen to that? Now, Saul has his spirit coming upon him and it says there's a spear in his hand. And that's just a bad combination. When, when that stressing spirit came upon, you know, they, they, they should have kind of gotten that spear from him because it seems when he would have this spirit come upon him and that spear was in his hand, it was going to get thrown at somebody. At one point, he even tries to kill his own son under these circumstances. Notice it says David was playing music with his hand. So again, what's in Saul's hand, a spear? What's in David's hand? It is the harp, worshiping God. And remember early on, uh, David was, was um, you know, discharged there to go to Saul to play worship because when he worshiped God and Saul's present, the demon would leave. And God inhabits the praise of his people. It was a picture of spiritual warfare. He would come and pray and worship God and the distressing spirit would lift off Saul. But Saul in this case is in such a place, he's not hearing it, he's not having it. Because in verse 10 it says, then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. Notice here, but David slipped away from Saul's presence. And when I read that, I thought about Jesus. Remember when he was in Nazareth, his hometown, and he went there and, and performed miracle, or a few miracles. He couldn't perform a lot because of the rebellion, but taught them and so forth. And then if you ever gone to Nazareth, it's on a cliff. And you can see the cliff if you ever go, and Lord willing, we'll get to go back, and I pray you can go with this. You know, they begin to push him, and you see this cliff where they try to push him over it to kill him, and it says that Jesus just slipped right through him. Just walk right through him. And it's the same picture here. David just slips right through him. And in a second here, we're going to talk about him being watched and us being watched and the enemy of our soul and so forth. But listen, we can take rest knowing that all our, all, not only are our days in God's hands, so are all our moments. And the enemy is, is limited to what he can do. And listen, God can slip us out of any circumstance. Has he ever slipped you out of any circumstances before <laughs> And maybe this morning you're like, I need to get slipped out of something right now. Well, I guess pray for some of that Holy Ghost lubricant to, you know, to let me just slip right out of this, God, right out of the fingers of the enemy. And praise God, we're in the hands of the Father and the hands of the Son. And he said, none will snatch us out of his hands. So David slips out, and it seems as he's slipping out, Saul drives a spear into the wall. And let's not forget, Saul's a big guy. Saul's the tallest of all the Israelites. He's head and shoulders above them. He stands some seven foot tall. So think about the leverage he'd have on that spear and how that thing would hit. And, and this guy's a warrior and so forth. And so David slips right out, even of the most intimidating circumstances. And notice, so David fled and escaped that night. Now, Saul was right about what comes next. Saul 
you know what, believed that David would go to his house. Indeed, David did that. And notice 11, Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And that's when this psalm is written. Now, we don't know if it was written soon as he got home or on the way home. Um, it, again, a mitchdom, a poem engraved. Um, it, it, it wasn't something he worked on for weeks. The Holy Spirit came upon him. And God gave him this word. And this is a word, this is a prophetic word for us this morning. And we need to receive it as such. God gave it to him in this time. So again, we don't know if it's when he got home, on the way home, or we'll see here in a second. He would slip out from that place as they watched him and maybe God gave him to him and, and under some tree or bush somewhere or some, his, his happy hiding place. We don't know that, but we know that night God gave him this word. Now notice here it says, and Michael, David's wife, told him saying, if you do not, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. And this is interesting and we'll come back to Michael when we get here into the psalm. Remember Saul had given David Michael, his daughter, thinking she would be a stumbling block to David. I mean, that, that's, that's a pretty dirty thought towards your daughter and your future son-in-law. That's basically them just saying, I, I know I'm a bad parent. I've raised a scoundrel here, so I'm going to give her to my enemy to stumble him. That, that is just a, a, a depraved mind. And Michael had a lot of issues, and we read about him later in Scripture. But in this circumstance, this is awesome because the one that Saul had given to David to destroy him, God would actually use her to save David. And this is beautiful, and hear this this morning, the things the enemy means for your harm, God absolutely wants to use them for your good. Isn't that not what Joseph said to his brothers? You meant this for my harm, but God meant it for my good. And you got to have that perspective, because again, we're going to talk about us being watched here in a minute and, and so forth, and it's just easy to get so overwhelmed and think, boy, this is it. I'm not slipping out of this. This is the end of me and so forth, but we got to remember all this that's meant for your harm, God and Christ Jesus is going to use it for your good. He works all things for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. Amen? She also even gives him almost like a gospel message. If you don't save your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. And there might be people even here this morning you've never called on the name of the Lord and you need to call on him today because you don't know what tomorrow holds. Don't put Jesus Christ off. Today's the day of, death, of salvation and now is the acceptable time. So it says here in verse 12, so Michael let David down through a window, and he went and he fled and escaped. And again, this isn't David being a coward. This is David moving with wisdom. It's David being shrewd. It's David even knowing that he's the king and I'm not, and it's not my place to bring, you know, my hand against him. I'm going to slip out of here. God gave him a word of wisdom. It's kind of like Paul when he slipped out the window there. I believe it was in uh, was it in Damascus that he did that? Uh, one of those early settings. It might have been Jerusalem. Forgive me for not remembering exactly. But he slips through and he escapes. And then notice here, and we'll come back to this in verse 8. Michael took an image and laid it in the bed and put a cover of goats here for his head and covered it with clothes. And you didn't know when you did that in high school, you were doing something biblical, right? <laughs> They'll never know I'm gone. <laughs> and he got all those comforters and blankets there and you know just laid it just right and you snuck out and boy isn't God gracious to us this morning isn't he so when Saul sent messengers to take David she said he's sick then Saul sent messengers back to see David saying bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him so they come in he's sick uh, they see him in bed 
They go back and tell Saul, and he's like, what's wrong with you? That's where you want him. Get him and bring him back to me. It seems these messengers had a bit of fear of God. They were looking for a way out for themselves. Oh, good, he's sick. We don't have to kill him ourselves. Let this guy do his own dirty work. It says, and when the messengers had come in, there was the image in the bed with a cover of goats here for his head. Then Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me like this? And sent my enemy away so that he escaped. And isn't it amazing how someone so evil can act so self-righteous? This guy is just in pure rebellion against God. She's trying to save her husband. How dare you deceive me like this? Man, sin can really just blind you to so much. And Michael answered Saul and said, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? Of course, that didn't happen at all, but... She's saying this to try to preserve my, herself. I, I didn't have anything to do it. He said, you know, lower me down or I'm going to kill you. And probably Saul could have said, well, why didn't you just let go of the rope when you lowered him down? But he, he's not thinking straight, so those questions aren't even asking this. What The Lord's preserving her and letting her slip out of this as well. So again, in all this, David is being watched by his enemies who are looking to destroy him. Why are they doing this? Listen, bottom line, because he's a follower of the Lord. He had done nothing against these men. In fact, again, and we'll come back to this right before this, he had delivered them. He brought a mighty blow against the Philistines who were wanting to destroy these men, their, their wives and their children. He had done nothing against them. But because he was a follower of the Lord and Saul was a follower of himself and he was under the sway of a distressing spirit and under the sway of the wicked one, he did not take kindly to the things of God or the followers of God. And that same spirit is a work in the world today. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we got to know this morning, we are being watched by an enemy looking to destroy us. You are being watched by an enemy or enemies looking to destroy you. Notice 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be vigilant. You sober-minded today? Are you vigilant? Bible says you need to be. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour so he's watching he's looking who can i devour where can i have an end who can i bait again we looked at this verse last week john 10 10 jesus said the thief does not come except to steal kill and to destroy he's looking to devour to kill to steal to destroy praise god for the second part of that verse i've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly listen though with saul Saul is a type of Satan, really, in this passage, a type of Antichrist, in that he wants to destroy David, but he has to send men to spy on David, because neither Saul nor the devil are omnipresent. Now, God is. The eyes of the Lord, nothing escapes his eyes. He knows all that's happening. Not the case with Saul, and not the case with the devil. And we need to keep that in mind, because there's too many times that we give the enemy just too much credit. And and all the times when we give him too much credit and too much power, it gives him power. We empower him in that for not recognizing who our God is, who he is in light of our God, and walking in ignorance. The Bible says we're not ignorant to the schemes of the devil. But he'll prey on that ignorance. And boy, he wants to paint a great picture of a yin and yang and these equal powers coming against us and and so forth, this great struggle and so forth. God's God, and there's none like him. And so Saul and the devil are in the same boat and that they have to send workers to do their spying. And we got to understand this morning that 
Satan has an army of fallen angels that are very organized and very assigned. And there are some of those fallen angels that are assigned to you and your family and our community here and so forth. And it is very, very organized. Not my opinion, it's scriptural. And we got to be aware of it. Paul goes in great, into great detail on this in his letter to those in Ephesus in Ephesians 6.10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And then notice here the order of things, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Notice there's great organization. There's powers, there's principalities. There are rulers of darkness. There's hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. You see a lot of this in the Old Testament. This organization, even different spirits over different regions. We're going to get to this in the near future, Lord willing, in Numbers on Wednesday night with Balaam and how he would be hired by kings to go and curse the demonic spirits over certain countries and so forth so that they could prevail over them in victory. In many ways, they at times had a better understanding of this than some do today. And so it's very organized, watching and so forth, reporting back. You ever read those Jack Chick tracks and has the spiritual warfare and the devils and so forth? I think maybe that, that's one of the, it, it, as, you know, as silly as some people will say that is, it's a little comic book. I think that opened up a lot of people's eyes. I think God used him to, to kind of paint a picture in a way that maybe we could grasp a little better, a teaching of, again of scripture, of the spiritual battle raging around us. You're being watched. Leviticus then speaks of familiar spirits. Leviticus 19.31, do not give no regard to mediums or, and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I'm the Lord your God. Familiar spirits are familiar spirits. They're familiar with you. They're familiar with your family. They've been passed down from generation to generation. They've been watching you and so forth. They take notes on you. They know the sin that easily ensnares you. They want to stumble you. They know the things, the things that trigger you. They know the things that depress you. They know the things that, you know, get your goat, so to speak. And they're active and continually wanting to try to stumble and push their agenda and so forth. And there's some folks that are very, very aware of this and super sensitive to it, sensitive, sensitive to it. And there's others that are completely ignorant and callous to it. But listen, either way, it doesn't stop the battle that's being raged. On top of this, there's also enemies of the cross, some knowing and some unknowingly that do his bidding. Jesus said in Matthew 1024, a disciple's not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. And we look at Jesus, remember how he was being watched. And they were scrutinizing what he was doing. They were trying to find means of accusation. He'd heal on the Sabbath. They said, oh, we got him. You broke the Sabbath. And Jesus would correct him. Listen, the Sabbath wasn't created for man, or man wasn't created for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. This man's been put to rest. You strain in a gnat and swallow a camel. And remember on Passion Week, they tried to stumble him. Oh, we, we know how we'll get him. Let's ask him if it's lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not. And if he says yes, we'll get him. We'll say that, you know what, he, he's, he's loyal to Caesar and not Israel. And if he says it's not lawful, then we'll get the Romans out here and we'll say he's in defiance. The Lord says, bring me a coin. Whose image on it? Caesar's. Paying to Caesar's what Caesar's was God's to God. And they were dumbfounded. 
plotting and planning. And again, the Lord says that we're not above him. Acts 9.23 about Paul, they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Jeremiah 5.22, they lay in wait as one who sets snares. And listen, this type of surveillance, I believe, is is at an all-time high in the history of the world. You are being watched. Big Brother is watching you. Social media is lit up. Ears and eyes abound. And listen, not all of it's bad. Some of it's good. But you better believe there is a sinister aspect of it under the sway of the wicked one with one agenda, destroy the church and destroy the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also know the Lord said this time would be marked with betrayal. We've looked at this before, Matthew 24, 9, speaking of the end days. Then they'll deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you'll be hated by all nations for my namesake. He's talking to the body of Christ here. And then many will be offended. We've talked about this a lot lately. Boy, we live in the time of great offenses. And we'll betray one another and we'll hate one another. Well, to betray someone, it means you have to watch them and look for fault and look for reasons to, you know what, come against them. They'll betray them. And there's so many under the sway of the wicked, look, look, wicked when looking for opportunity to accuse, to attack, to tempt, to slander, to persecute, to entrap. There's parts of our world where they're looking to imprison Christians. They're looking to kill Christians. So we are being watched. You are being watched. That should make this psalm all of a sudden have a lot more application. But hear this, listen. Before you get hyper-paranoid... Because some of you already know you're being watched, and now it's just like I poured gasoline on the fire, right? Before you run into evil suspicions, until you run out, you know, before you go run into some hole somewhere and you vow to get off the grid and never go back to the grid, you need to know something. Be of good cheer. We can rest. You know why? Hear this this morning. You're being watched, but God is watching those that are watching you, and greater than that, God is watching out for you. And we got to get that because, listen, even with this stuff, there's a lot of people that get real weird with it. They hear what I say and they're recording my conversation. Yes, they probably are. Hopefully, they'll get saved from that chatter. If we're walking with him, what do we need to fear? And if we have a fear of God, we need not fear men. Especially when we know that God is looking out for us and God is watching them. There's nothing that they are doing in the demonic or even, again, these minions, these enemies of the cross. There's nothing that, doesn't, that, that escapes the notice of our God. Psalm 121.8. I don't have time to, I was going to read more, but 121 verse 8. The psalmist says, the Lord shall preserve You're going out and you're coming in from this time forth, even forevermore. The King James Version reads, the Lord shall watch over. You're going out and coming in from this time forth and ever, forevermore. Do you know that? From this time forth right now. Let's just, we'll just bring it up to speed here right now. The past is the past, right? even though this has application to when you came to the Lord, but from this time forth, right now, from right now, can we receive this? From right now, is Jesus your Lord? Can you say amen to that? Amen. Then from right now, 
are going forth from this time uh, everlasting, evermore, God is watching out for us. That's a glorious word. Man, get that in your heart. Tuck it in deep. Because the enemy likes to come along and say, well, he's not watching out for you. He's not concerned. That's not what God says. And hear this as well. God is watching them. Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place. He is omnipresent, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Job 34, 21, for the eyes of the, the Lord are on the ways of man. He sees all his steps. There is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. He's watching them. And listen, if he's not watching them and we're just watching out ourselves, are watching out for ourselves, it is in vain. And in this climate that we are living, there's a whole lot of people that want to watch out. But unless the Lord is watching out, it is a waste of stinking time. Oh, we're going to go to him, we're going to prep, and we're going to watch out. And I got the big binoculars and all this stuff. So what? Not saying that there isn't a place for preparedness. We want to be balanced in this. But if that's where your hope is in lying and you watching out, you've been reading too many comic books, man. Your hope better be in something more than that stack of whatever you have over here. It better be in God Almighty. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And if you want that inner peace, you want that confidence from upon high, we just need to trust in him. But as you're being watched, if you want an inner turmoil, then lean on yourself. Trust in your own hand, your own means, your own ways, and turmoil will absolutely, it will abound. Now, I know we're talking about David, and we're going to get into the psalm right here in a second, but there's a, there's a great example of this in Scripture with King Asa. In 2 Chronicles 16, we read about a million-man army, a million-man Ethiopian army coming against Judah. That's a massive army even by today's standards. A million-man trained army. And what did Asa do when he knew he was being watched and that army was coming against Judah? He called out to God, and God brought a great deliverance. We flash forward in time, though, and you think Asa, you know, it would go back to that. And we read about his brothers to the north as Israel was split, Israel to the north, Judah to the south, and the king of Israel is plotting against Judah. And now Asa has more resources and so forth. Before, it's like, well, I got to call on God. I don't got any other options. Sometimes that's a really good place to be in. He's more established now and so forth. He's more dignified now. You know, he's been a king for a while. He's part of the royalty. And what's he do instead of calling out to God and saying, listen, God's watching this. God knows this. God's given his promise. The Messiah is coming through us. Those Syrians, you know, we won't be snuffed out. God's promises are yes and Amen. Instead of doing that, he goes and he hires the king of Syria, an enemy of God, to come and protect him. And this is what God says to him. He says, we're the Ethiopians and Libyam, not a huge army, with very many chariots and horsemen. Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. And the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. And this you've done foolishly. Again, he's talking about hiring the Syrians. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. And Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison. He was enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. 
And again, he had, he had turmoil because he wanted to take matters into his own hands. You know, I'm going to fight flesh with flesh versus just saying, you know what, I'm in God's hands. And if God wants me to do something, I want to be led by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. But first and foremost, he has already called me to do something to trust in him. As I'm being watched, as there's a plot against me, again, in the demonic and amongst enemies of the cross. Now, we'll go through this psalm quickly, and I think it's proper to set it up. It, it, it makes it come alive more because we're to study the Bible in context. So he cries out, deliver me from my enemies, O God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. He is our deliverer, amen? And listen, the word deliverer here means without fail, he will provide a way of escape. He will preserve, preserve. He will rescue. He will save. He will pluck away. Cry out to your deliverer. Maybe you need to cry out to him this morning. Cry out to him. He's also our defender. Defend me from those who rise up against me. A defender means one that keeps you safe. Sets you in a high place. He is strong on your behalf. Do you know right now Jesus Christ is defending you? We read in Revelation 12 that night and day, the enemy of our soul brings accusation against us before the Father. Night and day, night and day, night and day. I don't know exactly how all this works. Satan's down here plotting, and then he's up there accusing. I know he's not omnipresent, but it's probably like flash, you know. Serious. Back and forth. But faster than that. Back and forth, back and forth. And yet Jesus stands and what's he do? He defends us. And I love it because if it was just him trying to defend us on our own merit, us guarding ourselves, we'd have no defense. But what's the defense? They, they, they plead the blood of Jesus. They're covered by the blood of Christ. They're not under, you can't condemn them by the law because they're not under the law. They're under grace. They put their faith in me. They're, they're saved. They're born again. They're under my blood. Night and day he defends you. It's a glorious thing. He says, defend me from those who rise up against me. And the Bible speaks about, again, people rising up. Paul told the church there in Ephesus as he departed from them in Acts 20, 29. He says, know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among yourself, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw disciples after themselves. So he says, listen, when I leave from the outside and then even from the inside, Men, people will rise up and they'll speak perverse things. They won't speak truth. They'll speak forth lies or they'll put forth bait and so forth to try to stumble people. The people will follow them versus pointing them back to Jesus Christ. Sometimes you see it coming. And again, this comes in our lives in all kinds of different ways. Sometimes you see it coming and you can get out of the way. And other times you just get flat out blindsided. But either way, cry out to God to be your defender, to be your deliverer, to be your helper, and don't take the bait to say, I got to defend myself. At times, you may need to give an account for yourself, but when you fall into that place, I'm going to fight flesh with flesh, the big defense, and you know what? Give me that phone book. I, 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 you know what? I, I need to, to hire all my representation and so forth. Not to say there's not a place for that, but again, in these day in and day out things, Jesus Again, as all those accusations was being watched, never defended himself. He trusted in the Father. And boy, when he was buried in the ground, it looked like the enemy had victory, didn't it? But boy, when three days later came, the power of God was seen in his resurrection. God wants to go before you in that manner. 
He says, deliver me from workers of iniquity and save me from bloodthirsty men. So these are guys working an angle. They're working sin. They have a thirst for the blood of David. And this psalm's much about them, but listen, we also need to make sure that this psalm isn't about us and us watching back. Because when you get betrayed in these ways and people rise up against you in these ways and you know you're being watched, it's easy then to start justifying your plot and your angle and saying it's okay for me to be thirsty for their blood because they're thirsty for mine and yet the lord says to forgive when you do that you're saying god i'm taking it out of your hands and putting it in mine and that's not a good place for it to be verse three for look they lie and wait for my life the mighty gather against me not for my transgression nor for my sin O lord they run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine awake to my help and behold now david knew he had faults David cries out for mercy in all these psalms, or most of them, give me mercy. Listen, you cry out for mercy, it's a sign I need mercy because I have faults, I'm a sinner. But in this circumstance, again, he'd done nothing to these men. In fact, he had delivered them and served them and defended them. Right before this, he saved their families, again, their wives, their children from the onslaught of the Philistines. And now they lie in wait for them. Not only had he not sinned against them, he had delivered them. And hear this this morning, there's going to be times when this happens, and it hurts. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 15, the more, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I'm loved. It hurts, doesn't it? When someone you've invested in, someone you've ministered to, and so forth, they start watching you, and then they turn to try to hurt you. But hear this this morning. Do we want to be mature in these matters? It's going to happen if you're going to follow Jesus. It's going to happen. Happened to Jesus. We did that to Christ. We put him on the cross, really. He went to the cross because, again, he had given his life and provided for us, even in our wickedness, but we rebelled against him. And we got to be a people that understand, listen, I got to cry out to God, and this is part of the Christian walk, and I can't let them watching and planning get me sidelined here and get me, you know, to, to not be about the business of the Lord. And maybe some of you this morning, you're here, and you've been hurt in this way. Someone that you've even served, you know, not only have they denied you they're plotting to destroy you well what does david do he cries out to the lord lord you help me god you see me through this they're preparing attack they're plotting but i cry out to you please be my helper and indeed god wants to help you verse five you therefore O lord god of hosts the god of israel wake to punish all the nations do not be merciful to any of the wicked transgressors selah now, David isn't saying, hey, if they repent, don't show them any mercy. He's a type of Christ here saying, listen, if they don't repent, then judge them, punish them. Bring that wrath that they're under. If they want to reject mercy, they're going to incur wrath. Then notice verse 6. At evening they return, they growl like a dog. They go all around the city. Indeed, they belch with their mouth. Swords are in their lips, for they say, who hears they keep showing up this is a picture david you know what sought god moved with some wisdom they disappeared and instead of again remember they went to saul and then he discharged them again well he's sick we'll go back out keep looking for him have you noticed the spiritual warfare it just keeps coming it comes in waves you get through a season and it comes again 
it comes again. I know people that are no longer in fellowship because they said, I can't take the waves of spiritual warfare. I love Jesus, but I can't take this. It's too much on my soul. I'm just going to go over here and make an attempt to live a good life. I, I, I know Jesus is here, but I, I just don't want to engage in any of this. God hasn't called us to that. He says to endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. And there's nothing that's going to be too devastating that God won't see us through and give us a way of escape. But he wages the war of attrition. Again, even after he tempted Christ three times in the desert and the Lord put him down with God's word, it says that the devil departed from him for a more opportune time. Notice as well here, he uses his mouth saying, who hears? Satan wants to bait his army. Let me throw stuff out. Let me find a listening ear so that they can come be part of the assault on David. We need to watch our mouths, but we also need to watch our ears. Notice eight. Again, all this is going on in verse eight. He says, but you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall have all the nations in derision. Why they growl, God laughs. Why they mock God, God mocks them. He doesn't worry, he doesn't fret, fret, but he laughs at their foolishness. Think about when this was going on, David's writing this. Again, they're showing up and it looks like David in the bed with goats here and they think, oh boy, he's sick and they leave. I picture God laughing at that. That's a funny thing. It's funny practically, but it's also funny in that they're plotting to destroy David, and yet they're being fooled by a simple, you know what, wooden dummy in the bed here. Who's the real dummy? And in all these things of God's laughing, and again, he's not doing this to be cruel or uncompassionate, but he's laughing at their foolishness. If God's laughing while we're being watched, as we're being surveyed, uh, you know what, uh, uh, surveyed as, as people are plotting, if God's laughing, then why do we melt? <laughs> Because we have meltdowns at times in these things. When we melt, we just need more faith. We need to claim the promises of God. We got to go back to these truths. We got to cry out, Lord, meet me where I'm at. Because God's not melting. God's knees aren't knocking somewhere because of big brother in the beast system that's unfolding. And it is. It's absolutely unfolding around us. In fact, God said that it would all happen before it happened. So that our knees wouldn't knock. And we say, okay, well, God said it would happen. It's all the more that I should rejoice knowing God's on the throne. Verse 9, I will wait for you, O his strength. For God is my defense. My God of mercy shall come to meet me. God shall let me see my desire on my enemies. Now notice here, David does the exact opposite thing that Saul did that really set all this emotion. Saul was supposed to wait for Samuel, the priest, to bring the sacrifice, because the king was not, you know, called to do that. We talked about this, we talked about a lot of it this Wednesday night. We've talked about it on Wednesday night. The, the Levites were to do that. But he got ahead of God to his own demise. That was Saul's downfall. Now, how ironic that David says, listen, I'm going to learn from Saul's mistake. I'm not going to do what Saul did. I'm going to wait on the Lord. These things are written for our example to learn from, because God always shows up in his perfect timing. And then I also love verse 10. He says, my God of mercy shall come to meet me. See how personal that is? My God of mercy shall come meet me. God shall let me see my desire on my enemies. It's all personal. People talk about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Oftentimes that's thrown out there to divert from 
you know what? Gross sin. I got a relationship. I don't got religion. Well, listen, part of a relationship, God's called you to piety, to want to walk in holiness. And I hope that, you know, when we say that, I got a personal relationship with Christ, we really know that. He is, you know what? My God, he is merciful to me that we receive it as such. Because sometimes it can feel like the whole world's stacked against you. But if you know God's for you, then you know who can be against you. Quickly here, verse 11. Do not slay them lest my people forget. Scatter them in your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. Why would David pray that? Why, why allow the enemy to linger? Lest they forget. Lest they forget, you know what? We need to call on God and depend upon God. Part of the reason why we're watched, part of the reason why we're in this warfare is that we would remember that we're in a war, there's a battle raging, and we would be dependent upon God. Verse 12, for the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride, and for the cursing and lying which they speak. I mean, again, we know that we'll give an account for our words. Let them be held accountable because of their words, he says. And then verse 13, consume them in wrath, consume them. A double consumption here. That they may not be and let them know that God rules in Jacob to the ends of the earth, Selah. So let them know and hear this. Listen, the day is coming when all will know. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And those that don't call on them on this side of eternity, they will be consumed. And under his wrath. And hopefully that would stir our hearts to want to proclaim the gospel today and see these folks come to him today. Because listen, it's not, it's not all about us. You get these passages, and again, they're good and they're assuring, but also there can be a danger just saying, God's looking for me to conquer everyone. And no, listen, God has his hand on me, but God wants to preserve me so that I could proclaim him to these around me that want to devour me. God have that right mindset. Verse 14, at evening they return, so they're coming back. They came, they left. They came back, they left, they come again. They growl like a dog, they go all around the city. They wander up and down for food and hell if they're not satisfied. And hear this, they're never satisfied. Hell's never satisfied. Satan's never satisfied. Wicked agendas are never satisfied. We see a lot of them in our world. Hey, just give us this and then we'll go away. Just to prove of this immoral thing, of this agenda, then we'll go away. And all it is is you're throwing fuel on the fire. And other, they're going to come back for more. That's why we're called to be fundamentalists, not compromisers. And say, no, we're not moving an inch here. Jesus is Lord. He's the only way. God's on the throne. Marriage is what it is in the Bible. Or boys are boys and girls are girls. And we're not moving an inch. And there's a lot of people, let me move an inch. And it's like, they're going for the whole mile then. They're never satisfied. Because they're trying to fill a void they can't fill in themselves in the rebellion. Satisfaction only comes from the Lord God Almighty. So again, they're howling. They're howling like dogs, but what's David doing? David says, they'll howl, but I will sing. Verse 16, I'll sing of your power. I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. For you be my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. And again, this is all happening at night. They return at evening. They return at evening. And David is saying, but I'm going to praise you in the morning. He has an eternal perspective. He's seeing past the here and now. 
And in the midst of trials, again, the enemy comes in and he wants to whisper in your ear, this is the end of you and so forth. And it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm going to be praising in the morning. I, I got a future ahead of me that is eternal in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to let you steal my joy because of these circumstances and these lies. God has begun a good work and he's going to be faithful to complete it. And he's even using these circumstances to help bring that about. That is truth this morning. And we need to get it before us as followers of the Lord. So they're howling, I'm praising. I'm going to praise you aloud. I'm going to praise you in the morning. And these are the reasons, he says, I'm going to praise you. Because of your power. Because of your mercy. Because you are my defense. And because you have been my refuge even in the day of trouble. Even the most dark day, you have defended me. You have gone before me. You have seen me through season after season after season. And we got to get this stuff before us even when we gather together here as a church to worship. He's worthy of praise. We're gathered to worship him because of all of these things and so much more. He is worthy of it. We shouldn't look at it as optional. No, I want to come and worship. I want to bring a sacrifice of praise to God. And then finally, in verse 17, he says, To you, O my strength, I will sing praise, for God is my defense, my God of mercy. And it seems that in all of these sayings, as David worshiped God and turned to God, God strengthened him. Again, he turned to him because of his frailty. He turned to him because of his weakness. He turned to him because of his, you know, his own frailty and so forth. And he cries out to God. He says, God, strengthen me. As I turn to the Lord, I receive strength from upon high. And now I'm going to praise you. I'm going to praise you because you're my defense. I'm going to praise you because... Again, you're merciful to me. And as the enemy keeps coming and keeps bombarding, what does David do? He keeps going back to God. He keeps going back to truth. He keeps worshiping and praying and standing in truth. And we got to do the same thing. Keep standing in truth. Keep crying out. Keep turning to him. And some say, well, when is it all going to stop when you go to be with Jesus? That's when. Well, don't I get a retired note? when you go to be with Jesus. Let's stand up, close in prayer and worship. Well, again, Lord, we praise you this day. We give you glory and honor. I thank you, God, that you are watching us. I would hope and pray, God, that we take great comfort in that today. And we thank you, God, that there's no plots against us that you're not aware of. We thank you that we have victory in you. Again, strengthen us today. Strengthen our faith. Strengthen our trust in you, God. Enable us to respond in a proper manner, God, as you would have each of us to do individually, God, with this word before us. And if you haven't called on Jesus Christ, we talked about it in the message. Today's the day of salvation. He wants to wash you and cleanse you and save you. The Bible says whoever, that's everyone, whoever, that's anyone, whoever will call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Call on him if you have not. Ask him to be your Lord, which means you are turning from what your Lord is to ask him to be your Lord. That's repentance. And in that place, God, meet them where they are right now. Lord, anything holding them back, Lord, we even pray you tear down those things, God, and set souls free. Let's worship them as we... We close out here.
deliver me As I call upon your name Be the God who breaks my chains All the shackles of my shame Deliver me From the lies that wreck my heart Come and lead me from the dark Father, show how strong you are Deliver me Wonderful day in the Lord Jesus Christ and encourage someone before you leave today. God bless you.